Um, I'm a teacher here at JMA, enjoy working the nine to five. Um, I haven't been this week because it's been half term, hooray. Um, uh, but we'll be back in again tomorrow, full pelt, no doubt, up to the exams in the summer. Um, just before uh, we get on with Titus, uh, just one other thing to bring your attention to. Um, tomorrow marks the beginning of our week of prayer. Um, we will be gathering on Zoom in the early morning, 6.30 till 7, um, and then 12.30 uh, till 1 o'clock at lunch times, again on Zoom, and then in the evenings in person at the church office, and we'll gather to pray. Simple, isn't it? We'll gather to pray. We'll gather to meet with the living God. We'll gather to align our hearts to his heart. We'll gather to seek his face. We'll gather to hear from him. We'll gather to believe him. And we'll gather to figure out what the next steps are for us personally and for us together. And so please do make time in your diary this week to join us. If you're, life group, if you're part of a life group, then your life group should be coming along to the in-person prayer meetings um, on the evening that you would normally have life group if it's Monday to Friday. Um, but do join us. And if you can, if you know how to, please do consider fasting. Okay, I know fasting is a kind of a strange thing in our culture. You know, we talk about detox, but the main point of Christian fasting isn't primarily the health gains, although there are many. The main priority of Christian fasting is that our hunger reminds us to pray. And that our hunger reminds us that true life doesn't come from the food we stick into our bodies. It comes from Christ himself by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's the benefit of fasting. I know there's complications around that. If I get home from work and say, darling, I'm off to go and pray. I can't help you with the kids and dinner. That might not go so well. Um, so we have to figure that out in our household. But try in God to find a moment this week to just say, okay, I'm going to deny myself a meal. I'm going to deny myself some Netflix. I'm going to deny myself this, that, or the other because I want to have the greater pleasure of knowing God. And as the picture um, behind you may have prompted you last week, um, Liz mentioned that we're trying to set up a prayer room. We have set up a prayer room. Um, the aim being to create a space where we can pray. Um, sometimes we don't know what to pray, sometimes we forget how to pray, or sometimes our prayer lives get a little bit stale, and we just need some inspiration, some oomph to just get back into the zone. And having a space which shows us things, reminds us of things that God's doing in the world, reminds us of um, uh, what prayer is, how we pray, can be really helpful and useful. Uh, now, there will be a booking system set up that we can go on to, presumably will be accessed through the website, um, where you can go on, you can either go on by yourself and sit in the chair and pray and meditate, or you can get a bunch of friends together, hey, say, let's go down together to the prayer room and pray and just reinvigorate our hearts with the goodness of God and the truth of God and the kindness of God. Okay? Is that, have I missed anything? Okay. Fabulous. Okay. Let's just rest a moment. If your heart's like mine, it's busy with many thoughts. I had lots of emails from Microsoft this morning saying I was trying to get into my email account. I wasn't, so I'm a little bit nervous that someone's trying to hack me. Mercifully, Brother Brett here gave me some password tuition a few years ago, so I think I'm safe. But it still unsettles the heart, <laughs> like, what's happening, what's going on? But my confidence this morning is not in my abilities. My confidence this morning is in the goodness of God. 
And so, oh God, as we gather together to read what you inspired Paul to write thousands of years ago, please make the incredible, sometimes infinite-seeming journey between that point in history and our hearts today. Please connect our hearts more with your heart. Show us, oh God, your goodness and your kindness. Show us, oh God, the truth. Sometimes that truth isn't pretty and it scares us. But, oh God, seeing it with you next to us and in us is life to us and helps us to move on to a better place. And so come this morning, Holy Spirit. As you've been at work healing people, we believe uh, in bodies and maybe in heart and mind, so too would you heal our inner man, our inner woman, and lead us to better places, however that looks for each one of us and for us together as a church. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you have a Bible, either on your phone or in paper form in front of you, please turn to Titus 2. Uh, Sorry, Titus 3. We're um, verses 3 to 6. Verses 3 to 6. I can't quite read that clock, so I'm just going to, I'm not checking my Facebook. I'm just uh, making sure that I don't go over time, right? Um, Because I have a tendency to do that. Teachers do that. They're so full of themselves sometimes. I am, anyway. (laughs) Sorry, not casting dispersions on other teachers. Um, let's read. Ooh, I've gone to Timothy. No, there we go. So, I'll read from um, the beginning of the chapter just because it's easier. Remind them to be submissive to rulers, Paul says to Titus, and to authorities, to be obedient, be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to avoid quarreling, to be gentle, and to show perfect courtesy towards all people. For we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and the loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of our works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration And the renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior. And so Paul um, carries on this kind of thought around submitting to authorities and living godly and quiet and upright lives. And he says that we too also once were a certain way. We were foolish, we were disobedient, we were deceived, we were enslaved by all kinds of passions. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. That's quite a list of vices, isn't it? I wonder if you um, had a coffee break at work tomorrow and you said, oh, I learned in church that we're all uh, foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We live in malice and envy and we hate one another and we're hated. I wonder how that would go down around your water cooler, around your coffee break. How would that go, I wonder? But Paul is saying this is, whatever, whatever we think about that, whatever, however we think that would go, Paul is saying this is where we all start. This is our starting point. And whether we're in positions of power like the Romans were, or whether we're in positions of subjugation like the Cretans were and the Jews and all those in the Roman Empire, all of us were in this place. 
And there are three things I want to say about this list. Firstly, you see, we are very good. We've got the next slide. Perfect. Thank you. Firstly, we are very good as human beings at dressing up our vices as if they are virtues. We love to think of ourselves as wise, not foolish. We don't think of ourselves as disobedient as a, as a race. We don't think of ourselves as disobedient. In our culture, we think of ourselves as authentic. I'm not being disobedient, I'm being authentic. We don't think of ourselves as deceived. We love to think of ourselves as enlightened. If you went to school in the 80s and 90s like I did, the, the narrative was that, that human beings uh, kind of shot through the evolutionary pecking order because of our ability to think. I mean, it doesn't take a long time to scan the news to realize human beings really aren't very good at thinking, are we? We're often very unenlightened in the way that we think. We are deceived. We're enslaved. We love to think of ourselves as free. Freedom is the watchword of our culture. We want to be free. We're free to do what we want, free to go where we want, free to have what we want, free to see who we want, free to sleep with who we want. We're free. And yet the truth is there's very little difference between being free and being lost. When you cut all of your ties, you become adrift. The gospel isn't about freedom in and of itself. The gospel is God freeing us from sin so that he can bind us to himself. That's not freedom, but it is life to us in being bound to God. We talk about passions. We talk about worldly ambitions. I don't know if you've uh, observed the, the global rich list, but uh, Elon and Jeff seem to be at loggerheads trying to uh, be the first to get cheap, in inverted commas, space travel off the ground, pun intended. Uh, or maybe you're a bit like Bill Gates. You know, you want to use as much of your philanthropic dollars as you can to tackle global hunger or, or, or roll out vaccines to um, the world. And these passions, these worldly ambitions are not wrong necessarily in and of themselves. But in the light of eternity, what do they mean? In the light of eternity, what do they mean? And hating others, hating one another. We don't say necessarily that we hate people. Or, or if we do, we have our reasons, don't we? And our reasons are justified to us. Our reasons are justified to our group. Our reasons are justified to our nation. And we, as a culture, spend a lot of time scapegoating different groups of people. It's these people over there. If, the, if these people did this, it wouldn't be a problem. If that group of people over there did that, it, things wouldn't be a problem. Everything would be okay. Everything would be okay. And so we're very good at dressing up our vices as if there's some kind of virtue. That's the first thing to say. Secondly, the interesting thing about this is that Paul was a Pharisee. Now, if you know anything about the Pharisees, the Pharisees were trying to live the right way. They were trying to do the right thing. And they, if, if they were around today, they would be the, the good Christians, right? The Pharisees were, were the, were the white-hot radical people living for God. That's who the Pharisees were. 
And yet when Paul looks back on his time as a Pharisee, he doesn't look at it through a a sense of kind of, oh, that was a great time. He does say, he does describe himself, when it comes to legalistic righteousness, when it comes to following rules, he says in Philippians 3, I was faultless. He uses the word faultless. But he recognizes that underneath all of that rule keeping, all of that wisdom, all of that routine shaping of his life, training of his heart in the ways of the wisdom of the Torah and all of that history and tradition, underneath it all, all he was doing was covering up and caging his sinful nature. He couldn't transform it. He could only cage it. And he says in Colossians 2.23, such regulations in the law have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Our trust is not ultimately that we know how to train our hearts, although training is good and necessary. Our trust is in God who transforms our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. That's our hope. And so whether we're born into a Jewish household or born into a Gentile household or born into a Christian household or born into a non-Christian household, all of us, all of us start off life with this disposition of being at war with God, of doing our own thing, of living our own life, living our own truth. however we dress it up. Thirdly, the other thing to say is that when you behold the righteousness and the holiness and the goodness of God, you just know that all of your trying to be good, trying to do good, trying to justify yourself, trying to see yourself in the sense of the pecking order of life, it's just rubbish. It just all falls away. And I guess when Paul met Christ on that Damascus road and he shines down from heaven, he says, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? Everything makes sense. Maybe when we became a Christian, we had this sense of, oh God, you are reality and everything that I've been saying to myself, everything that I've believed about myself just needs to be completely reordered in the context of your great love and mercy. And that's exactly what he does. But when the kindness and goodness, sorry, when the goodness and loving kindness of our God and Savior appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy. And into this crazy world where we're all justifying ourselves and living our best life now and living our desires and trying to just make a space for ourselves and those like us. Jesus steps into this crazy world and says, enough, enough. And he takes all of the righteous anger of God upon himself. He takes all of our brokenness and fallenness and shame and pollution upon himself. See, the one who is worthy of all glory steps into the place of an utter servant and slave. Why? 
because he loves us. And because he loves, he loves, he loves to show mercy. He loves those who are not like him. He loves his enemies. He loves those who hate him. He loves. See, we claim to be good. He makes himself sin so that he can make us truly good before the living God. We claim to be right, but he allows himself to be humiliated and wronged so that we can be made truly righteous before God. So we lay claim to power and authority, but he makes himself a servant and gives himself up that we might eventually reign with him. We claim to know what life is about, but he rather embraces death so that he can give us the only life that truly matters, eternal life. Two things to remember in this is that it's not God's job to save us, right? It's not God's job to save us. One of the things Muslims find very difficult when they listen to Christians is that sometimes Christians seem to have this sense of, well, it's God's job to save us. He's loving, isn't he? And, and that's what love does. It's love's job to save everyone. And somehow in that familiarity, we confess can forget the utter glory and incredible goodness of God. He doesn't have to do anything for us. He doesn't have to do anything for us. Yet he chooses out of his love to save us. But on the flip side of that, he genuinely does love us, right? He genuinely loves you. He genuinely loves me. Genuinely, deeply. He's not been cajoled into doing this by someone else. He's not uh, looking to see other eyes into the room, oh, what's God, what's God going to do now? You know, if you're a parent, you'll often, you'll see your kids behaving a certain way, and you're scanning the room to see what the other adults are thinking when they're looking at you, like, how am I going to deal with this situation? You're like, oh, what do I do? What do I do? And you try and do the right thing to be seen in the right way by other people. Uh, am I the only one that does that? <laughs> right? God's not like that. He saves us because he loves us. He saves us because he loves us. He has mercy on us because he delights to have mercy. He delights to renew. He delights to restore. He delights to do good. That's why he does it. He's not being pushed. He does it because he wants to. And if you're here, it's because he wants you here. And if we have a mission to go into the world and make disciples, it's because he wants other people here too. Thirdly, we move on. So he saves us by his mercy. And it's not by our acts of righteousness, whether we were Pharisees, whether we dressed up our vices as virtues, whatever we were like, he saves us because of his mercy. And it says then, by the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, who he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. And so as a result of his death and resurrection, he sends the Holy Spirit to renew, restore, rebirth us effectively. 
Now, I think there's often a lot of kind of, you know, Christians down the ages have spilt a lot of ink on, you know, what's going on here. I've not got a big brain. I've not read a lot, okay? But my simple uh, pastor in Reading 2023 understanding is this. Um, If you uh, go to a wedding, what's the two things you do? You have to get out of your average everyday clothes, get washed, then put on your nice wedding clothes and put on your nice smellies so that you smell nice and you go to the wedding, right? It's a two-stage process, okay? Yeah, you get washed, as it were, and you get anointed, okay? Now, you do that maybe multiple times a week, some of you. You do it every day before you go to work. You wash yourself and you anoint yourself. That is a picture of the work of the Holy Spirit when you come to Christ, Okay, He washes us. He births us. He brings us new life. He cleanses away the old way of life. He cleanses away those uh, acts that we have done, those pollutions that we have filled ourselves with. He washes it all away. We die to that old way of life. In baptism, we go into the water, symbolic of our death, our dying to that old way of life, being raised up. And when he raises us up, he anoints us with the Holy Spirit. That's why on our membership form, we talk about baptism in water and baptism in the Holy Spirit, right? Because it's a two-stage process. Now, some of you, if you come from other church backgrounds, like, whoa, hang on a minute. Okay, if you take two bottles into the shower or if you wash and go, I don't care. The truth is, the Holy Spirit does it and it's his work, not ours. We take two bottles into the shower in this church. Other churches take one bottle, whatever. The point is, God does the work. He is the one who sets off the old life, who cleans us of the old life and raises us up into the new life and anoints us with grace and power to live in the way that he desires we live. So that is what is going on. And this is an amazing thing. And so we find ourselves alive in God. I mean, we who were dead, we were dead to God. We didn't care about God. Maybe we were brought up in a Christian family. But, you know, we still, we still had our own priorities, still our own ways, still our own things, that, what we wanted to do with our lives. Okay. In somewhere, somehow, in the mystery and the miracle of God, he speaks into our hearts that are dead to him and makes us alive, able to hear his voice, able to follow his lead empowered to be able to do the things he's asked us to do. Even, those, even if those things seem impossible, he empowers us to do them. That's the work of the Holy Spirit. And well, so what? So what? Okay. Maybe I've reminded you things of, of things you already know, right? If you've been a Christian if, a long time, maybe there's nothing new in the last 10 minutes of what I've said, maybe 20 minutes, I can't quite tell, Is there anything new for you in that? But the interesting thing is Paul reminds Titus and and he reminds Timothy and and it's obvious from all of his letters is he tells the Christians to remind yourselves of these things because we so quickly forget. We so quickly get distracted. We so quickly get offset. And living the Christian life is a bit like weeding in paradise. Weeding in paradise. What do I mean by that? Well, anyone a gardener here? Anyone like gardening? If you don't like gardening, I've got another metaphor, don't worry. But no one does gardening for weeding, right? No one says, yay, I've got weeding to do today. Great. We love it when we, 
harvest our food when we're gardening. Or we love it when some bush flowers or some flowers. That's the bit that we like when we garden, right? Okay, not the weeding. Okay, but if you don't weed, what happens? Your garden will eventually get taken over. Your crop will be destroyed, right? So when I say we're weeding in paradise, this isn't the main thing. The main thing is pursuing the promises of God and knowing the goodness of God and seeing God and beholding God and following God. That's the main thing. But there are little things in our lives that if we don't pay attention to them can grow up and destroy a good work, right? That's the point. So when we're I'm talking about weeding in paradise, I'm not talking about us mounting a witch hunt on ourselves. You know, because I know some people in the, this room well. You know, I'll say something and you will, oh gosh, yes, that's me. Oh, I'm really bad at that. And actually, relax. God is good, okay? You don't need to go looking for stuff that's not there. But at the same time, we do need to have a reality check and just be honest before God. And where, where he points stuff out to us that we need to deal with, then let's be honest and courageous. It's one of our values. Let's be courageous and real and deal with ourselves in grace, but also in truth, right? Are we good with that? Now you're wondering what I'm going to say. <laughs> you see, Jesus gave us a great commission. And so our, our discipleship is both an outer struggle to finish the great commission, to take the gospel to the nations, and an inner struggle to be conformed more and more day by day to the likeness of Jesus. Those are the two responsibilities of Christians that Jesus has brought us into his life so that we may do these things. And um, two different kinds of weeds, just quickly. Some weeds are really obvious, aren't they? We can see them. They're obvious to us. We know where they are. We need to pull them out. But other weeds can remain hidden in plain sight. Some attitudes of our hearts can get buried under other things. Or they, 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 they twist themselves and bind themselves around other things. So it's really hard to get them out. And the point, again, our hope is not ultimately in our ability to find stuff and to do stuff our hope is in God who is full of mercy and kind and enables us to do things but let's think about that list that we have from the beginning you know hating others hating one another you mean envy do you have envy in your heart Maybe 10 years ago, you were the up-and-coming person in the workplace. Everyone was listening to you, and everyone was uh, thinking, oh, you know, here's the next rising star in our company. Here's the next rising star in our school. Here's the next rising star, da-da-da-da. 10 years on, nothing's happened, right? And other younger people are coming through, and they seem to be more talented, more able, more capable than you are. Does that birth envy in you? Or somebody gets a promotion you feel you were entitled to. Does that birth envy in you? Or maybe pride. You know, pride is knowing perhaps that we're really good. And sometimes when we're proud, other people recognize that we're really good, right? That's how pride works. And we can become arrogant, not because we're not good at stuff, but because we're good at stuff and people recognize it. 
And the flip side of self-pity. Okay, self-pity looks good, but it's really pride that's been wounded. Self-pity says, I'm great, but no one recognizes it. Do you see other things in your life? One of the things that um, I'm kind of sort of thinking through is, how do I balance this sense of I need to be transformed more and more into the likeness of Christ? And yet sometimes there seem to be bigger issues, right? So, you know, here I am trying to think about how to be self-controlled and it's important. And yet, you know, thousands of people have died in Turkey in an earthquake. And how do I kind of pull those two things together in my head? How do I pull those two things together in my head? Do you observe, do you watch television and see um, sexual immorality on the TV and think, you know, all of this stuff that comes out on the TV, it's dreadful. Yeah, and then... A few hours later, or maybe a few days later, you're flicking through your phone and thinking, oh, and suddenly being tempted or tantalized or going into something that you shouldn't look at. How are these things sitting in us? Let's, let's get these weeds out of our gardens. In the, in the name of Jesus, let's get these weeds out of our gardens. But sometimes there are weeds that are hidden in plain sight. When I was, um, a Christ, uh, when I was a university youngster, um, I, I felt like I was coming out of university, I was going to go off to the mission field, do you know, great things for God, and somehow my sense of self-importance, who I am in God, who, who, who God had made me to be, suddenly got wrapped up with this sense of God's mission. My sense of identity somehow in that moment became more important to me than the gospel of God. Oh, look, at, this is what I want to do for God. This is what I need to do for him. This is what my life is going to be about. And somehow these things get kind of woven into us and say, God, I thank you for the grace that you've put upon my life. Oh, God, it's about you. It's about you. It is about you. I'm going to ask you an honest question. Because we have culture wars in in our society, don't we? And it's very easy to find yourself being stirred to dislike other people. If you follow certain articles, if you read certain feeds, you will end up it will cultivate resentment in you if you allow those things to take root. What kind of things are you reading online? Okay, none of this stuff is necessarily evil. It's not bad. It might be very honest and very good, but what's it cultivating in you? Are you the kind of person who thinks um, wokeness is the problem in our society? Or maybe you're one of those people who thinks that whiteness at the other end, is the problem in our society. Are you reading stuff that fosters your sense of resentment, that fosters your sense of fear about the culture that you live in? Jesus says, love your enemies. Jesus says, love your enemies. 
If you're reading stuff that encourages you to fear other people, that encourages you to hate other people, how will you ever show them the mercy of God? How will you ever show them the love of God? And I can put my hand up there because I've been in that space when I've read an article and instead of coming away thanking God for his goodness, I'm coming away fearing something that may or may not happen in the future and fearing a certain group of people. Friends, Jesus told us to love our enemies and to do good to those who persecute us. If what you're reading online is fostering in you a sense of resentment and fear and loathing, you need to ask for God's help. You need to ask for God's help. Either switch off that news feed or just as you read something, just say, God, help me to get a sense of your perspective on this. We are not here to be foot soldiers in somebody else's culture war. You know, there are some Christians who believe that if we just went back to Britain in the 1950s, everything would be okay. Okay, when I go, when I look online, I read the kinds of view that says if we just turn the clock back, everything would be okay. Anyone seen that? There's this sense that if we just turn the clock back, if you, you know, Britain's Christian heritage, right? Britain's Christian heritage. That's that that's the future. Okay, that's not the future. The future is looking to Jesus. The future is looking to Jesus. Okay. Heaven is not 1950s Britain. It really isn't. Please. I know that's in some ways a silly thing to say, but when I read some of the things I read, it's very hard not to see the way some Christians just think actually turning the clock back 20 years would fix everything. No, it won't. We were just as riddled back then with sin as a society as we are now. And we needed Jesus as much back then as we do now. Yeah? Yeah? And so just to finish, I think, what is it, 25 past? We were once foolish, disobedient, enslaved to various kinds of passions and pleasures, hating others and being hated. But when the loving kindness of God appeared to us, he saved us, not because of our works of righteousness, but because of his great mercy. That's a once-for-all truth that we need to bathe our hearts in daily. We've bathed in it in the worship this morning. We need to bathe in it now. We need to bathe in it as we leave. We need to bathe in it tomorrow. We need to bathe in it in the week of prayer. We need to bathe in it after the week of prayer. We need to bathe in it next month. We need to bathe in it next year. Because the goodness and the kindness of God is what transforms us. It's what saves us. It's not our abilities. It's not our heritage. It's not our Christian parents. It's not our this. It's not our that whether we think we started in a good place in life or not, our hope is that Jesus saves. And so whether you're a Christian here this morning or you're not a Christian here this morning, and if you're not a Christian here this morning, if you're watching and you're online and you're not a Christian, please talk to the person that you know from RFC or or talk to somebody you've come with today. Say, what is this mercy? What is this outrageous grace? What is this outrageous kindness that God has shown me that for all of my posturing and pretending and positioning of myself in life, God cuts across all of that. He says, I love you and I want you. 
Now come, let us reason together. Let's work out how you can be who I truly made you to be. Heavenly Father, we thank you that your loving kindness has come to us in the person of your son, Jesus. Thank you that in him we find true life. In him we know redemption. In him we are washed and birthed into a new kind of life. We don't have to listen to the old ways of life anymore. We don't need to listen to it. We can say no to ungodliness and worldly passions. And we can live good and upright lives before God, trusting in his grace to change us, trusting in his declarations over us. These are the things that matter. And oh God, as we reflect on these things, we thank you for your great mercy to us. Who are we that we should find ourselves alive in your purpose? Who are we that we should find ourselves recipients of grace? And so, oh God, help us as we go today to weed out those little things in our hearts that you don't want to see there. Give us courage to face them and to remove them with your help. Not in some kind of witch hunt, but just because it's good and it will produce a harvest of righteousness that brings glory to Jesus and joy to us. And in his name we pray. Amen.